Hello friends and folks and welcome back to Refresh Rate, your check-in from us here at Scanline Media on what we've been enjoying in media lately. I'm at Six Detmar. I'm Jennifer Uncle. I'm Kyrie Page. That's right. And you're listening to NPR. <laughs> That's right. That's right. PlayStation 3. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Today, the Sony Corporation woke up to a day that they had not been necessarily dreading, but knew was coming. They announced what was called the PlayStation 4. The PlayStation, a PlayStation, what was the PlayStation 3? It was the one that was the PlayStation 3 computer entertainment system, the all-in-one entertainment system from... Maybe? Maybe. No, it was the Xbox One. I'm thinking of the Xbox One. Yeah, the Xbox Xbox One. One, uh, Computer entertainment system, the all-in-one entertainment system for Microsoft. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, (laughs) Nothing I've played today runs on an Xbox One. Thanks for joining us, everyone. <laughs> yep, that's it. Uh, where can okay. people find you on? No. All right. All right. Let's, let's. Okay. I think we're enough let's... with the jokes. We, we, we did our normal thing. We figured out what we're going to talk about. We all, uh-huh. we all brought something to talk about. And I can talk about everything everyone's played, which is fun for me. Hell yeah. <laughs> I can talk about one of the other things that well, one of you has played. Well, Jeff, why don't you just get us started? What, okay. What have, what have you been messing with since the last time we recorded one of these? Well, I've been messing around with a lot of stuff, but mainly I've been working my way through Metroid Prime Remastered, which is like, it's the first time I've ever, I've ever gotten this far in this particular game. <laughs> started just because they announced it and released it on the same day during a Nintendo Direct. Which is what you want to do with some of this stuff, is like, you want to just announce and drop, but mm-hmm. um, yeah. And charge $60 for it, so people can be like, I have to see why this is worth $60 and give you money. <laughs> Obviously. That's how it works. Um, yeah. So you've been playing... Metroid Prime. What what's what's your hot take on Metroid Prime? It's I'm su- surprised by the degree to which the world feels alive as you're wandering around through it. Like uh it's filled with not only hostile animals but also just hostile plants and some of them are poisonous but some of them are just like Hey, what if I just made it really hard for you to walk, and that's my defense mechanism? Okay, well, how's that any different from me going to the backyard outside and messing with poison ivy? <laughs> you don't have you don't have a, a Chozo battle suit. Yeah, I know. I I keep telling my doctor I want to fit into like a Chozo battle suit, but you know. Yeah, actually, I I have uh, you see, I have the exact name of it. Okay. Okay, let's see. Uh, see, because it, it's on Mechanista, we covered it. Uh, Chozo Battle Suit Ver SA1 4468 VM6 B. This pops up because there's an enemy, I believe in Prime 2, that hacks you, mm-hmm. and your screen gets flooded with like BIOS information, and you see the, the suit's name. 
Yeah. It's pretty they, cool. They like to do a bunch of little touches like that in this, like, uh... Mm -hmm. When you're looking at yourself through the x-ray view, you can see um, Samus doing little Spider-Man motions with her fingers to switch weapons and things like that. Yeah, I mean, that was, like, the thing with Metroid Prime back in the day was that there was just, like, when it came out, it was, it was a bit of a showstopper in terms of, like, the amount of detail that was coming out of, like, the, like, what they had gotten out of the GameCube, which was... I mean, only, like, a couple of years old at that point, but still, like, it was a mm -hmm. always, like, impressively detailed game. Yeah, it was, like, the GameCube game whenever I was going to, like, demo kiosks or at a friend's place. Like, it was the one that everyone pretty much had, other than, like, Smash Brothers. And, uh, I never really got around to it until the Wii, and then I played the Metroid Prime Trilogy on Wii for three hours and just holding the Wiimote in that position for that long was like, oh, this fucking sucks for my wrists. <laughs> so it's, I haven't really returned to it until this new release and the dual joystick controls, like the default modern controls they use for this feel pretty good. Yeah, I, I know some friends of ours have been pretty dismissive of, of the of those controls but i think like i think there is a loss right mm -hmm. because like if you play original metroid prime on gamecube one of the things they do to make first person platforming feel good is that when you jump samus automatically looks down a little bit so you can see and make landings better mm -hmm. and it just feels good yeah and with the dual analog they don't do that because you have full control um but like i also think people have some some real rose-tinted glasses about it because like there are times when it expects you to look up and that's really annoying in original metroid prime <laughs> not just because like using the c-stick to move around or to look around on the gamecube controller was just well, you couldn't oh you couldn't oh. the c-stick the c-stick was switching weapons and the d-pad is switching visors the, they're the only way to look around was to hold right trigger to stand still and then pan upwards Huh. Like you're playing Goldeneye or something. Right. It's also worth pointing out that, like, in addition to letting you switch over to the Wii controls if you want, you could also, like, uh, switch to something they call Classic or Classic with Gyro. And when you're in those two modes, it restores the whole automatically looking down as you're making jumps thing. Mm. It'd be cool if you could toggle it with a button press for platforming sections. Um, yeah. But that might be asking a little much. Maybe. But, I mean... Mostly, like, my experience has mostly been, as a person who thinks Metroid Prime is the uh, second best game ever made, um, maybe third at this point. It might actually have slipped to third. Wow. What are, um, what are the other two? Uh, Majora's Mask and Breath of the Wild. Nintendo's doing a good job. Yeah. <laughs> you um, me they make, when they hit, they, they hit. When they, when they make video games, they're pretty good. I, I'm saying when they hit, they hit. There are a lot of stinkers. That, that is true. That Nintendo puts out. Yeah. Um. But for me, this has been like going back to a game I know really well. And for you, this is a game that you didn't you didn't know that well. Um, yeah, I, I can't get over what a bad control scheme the Wii one is for this, because I think the thing that is the coolest about Metroid Prime is it emphasizes that Samus is really methodical mm -hmm. and she's an explorer, not like, a, you know, like I, I, I like Metroid Dread a lot. But the way she moves and acts in that is the exact opposite of how she does in Prime. Well, mm -hmm. the thing about, like, Dread, like, like, Samus and Dread 
is that it, it works for that game. It's still a fun game, but like she is mm-hmm. more the mobile action hero that has kind of supplanted her identity in some ways in part of like how mobile she is in smash brothers and like later uh metroid games but if you ever go back and play um like super metroid like it like it is that feeling of like you're a little slow like you get the speed booster and you have ways to jump around and stuff but you have to be methodical like the design of Super Metroid is one of which you have to be considerate in looking around your environment and looking for the next part to go to. And it sounds like, like, I didn't play a ton of Prime. I played a little bit back in the day. I got stuck at a particular part and just never revisited it. I got stuck at the exact same part, it turns out, when I was playing on the Wii. Like, uh, you know that bit in the Chozo Ruins? Um, where there's, like, it's... It's the big outside outcrop, and there's, like, a few platforms nearby. hmm I didn't know you could jump up on those, and, like... <laughs> something about the way this game does 3D level design occasionally, it just makes me realize, oh, this area that I thought I could never actually get to, I could always just do a jump here, and it would get me there just fine. Right. And, and Prime, as a game, is trying to capture that feeling of playing Super Metroid of like really encouraging you to like not just with the scan visor or whatever but just like you gotta look around you gotta think about the environment as an actual place you exist in rather than a series of like you know levels or challenges or something like that like when you play like mario world or something like that you don't really think about the place you're in you just go through it so beyond the like the enemy design and sort of the the hostility of the environment, how are you finding your time with Prime? I'm getting lost a whole lot in it. <laughs> like uh, there's a, it does this thing where if you're just not going in the right direction for 15 to 20 minutes, it'll just your suit will just chime in and be like, "Hey, you know what else has a half pipe? This area over here. Want to go check it out? Want to do a sick grind session on this half pipe?" <laughs> But I, I'm also finding it really fascinating that, like, it does the same thing that you would expect from other Metroid games and other Zelda games where you're kind of driven by your inventory and you're being pushed from area to area in terms of, like, I ha- now have this and it can take me to this area where I'll get the new item. In the background of all of that in Prime is this situation where you're trying to find these 12 keys to unlock the area where the big bad is supposedly um living deep beneath the planet and uh it's one of those things where you just occasionally see something that looks a little weird you try one of your weapons and suddenly you realize oh hey one of the items is totally here now and it's the game's not really pointing you to that unless you go to the area where the big lock is and you're reading the poems about these specific areas giving you hints about where you need to go Mm. yeah it definitely is easy to not know where to go in prime i think like not a lot of games try and do like actual first person 3d metroidvania and it turns out it's hard to like you can't do the same tricks of like oh remember this tile you shot earlier and you'll go back there because of the icon on it and everything because one you don't have tiles with icons but also it's like in a 3d first person shooter environment you can't count on people having just accidentally seen so many things you know yeah 
like when uh, back to Super Metroid, you can like the designers can account for the idea that the entirety of like a particular room is going to be visible the moment the player walks into that room. But for Metroid Prime or any other first person exploration game, you don't have that guarantee. Like players are just going to look like comparatively a small sliver of like the entire space in which you can look around. Like um, in some ways, like it reminds me of the development of portal um, back in the day, which Mm. the developers talked about, like it was nearly impossible for a while to teach people playing that game to look up. Uh, It is like a concept that just isn't like ingrained into the language of first person adventures the same way walking into a room in Super Metroid illustrates something about that room. Also, I believe Tommy Tallarico, noted uh, criminal, noted criminal, uh, <laughs> said that uh, Metroid Prime sucked on his on his review TV show. Has that been your findings? No, I, I thought I thought he worked with Miyamoto hand in hand, and he just sent sound samples, and they were like, "Hey, cool man, we're gonna build the entire game around these sound samples." Well, both of these things are true. You can find him saying both of these things on record. Exactly, exactly. One of them is more true, however. It's it's a pretty good game, yeah. Um, but it's, it's also that's not, not what I said. Jen's Jen. not playing along at all. <laughs> uh, I saw Tommy Tallarico at Magfest once. He's a very tiny man, <laughs> both in stature and also moral fortitude. Probably penis, but you know, not that that matters. You know, no, just just guessing. We're gonna get such an email. <laughs> I also, like, I think the game's pretty terrifying to a surprising degree. Like, uh, just dealing with the Metroid on a 2D plane versus dealing with one in 3D as it's, like, zooming right for your head is... It's not pleasant. (laughs) Um, When it latches onto your your visor, oh, it's the worst. Yeah, you have to go into your little ball form and shake it off with a little bomb. I think it is really interesting how, like, just the change of perspective really can, like, make, like, Metroids by themselves, like, in the original games are a little silly, like, conceptually, like, in in Super Metroid, like, the final boss of that is, like, a pretty terrifying creature, but, like, in Prime, this, like, floating 3D object that you already have a limited view space and this thing moves faster than, like, other things in the environment, it's, it's, it would make that really scary. Yeah, and like, once you have the proper tools, it is technically, they're technically one of the easiest enemies to kill in the game. You just hit him with an ice shot and then hit him with a missile, and that's that. But like, it's, your ice shot is a little slow, and also sometimes when you're seeing it come at you, you kind of start panicking. So it's very easy to like, get into that almost horror movie mentality where you do have the tools to take this down, but it's very easy to just forget about all that and fuck up big time. They also do some horror movie stuff with, at least early on with uh, space pirates where like, first Mm -hmm. of all, for a long time, you're only seeing space pirates that are already like fucked up. Right. Mm -hmm. Like you get put bust out your scan visor because there's one that's just like sitting down, popping shots at you futilely, And your scan visor is very helpful. Like his spine has been broken and you're like, Oh, Okay. Um, that is totally the power of that type of visor is just like 
one benign, not benign, but like this sort of neutral line that a computer would spit out, like mm-hmm. makes you wonder, oh, fuck, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and yeah, but then like there's the, you know, there's the, the you go through some segments on, on, on the world where like their labs and stuff, but they're not there the first time when you come back through, like the door slams shut and the music freaks out. Um, that's really good. Yeah, and they like to, some of them even like hiding on top of the walls while the lights are off. And then you turn on your, like, 2000s-ass 3D video game thermal vision and uh, just see them hanging out there so you can pop them off. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty good. They should really bring back thermal vision and, like, weird vision modes for games. I kind of miss them. Detective vision does not count. I mean, it is. Why doesn't Detective Vision count? Yeah, Jen. <laughs> I guess my thing with Detective Vision is it. Be- most games treat it like a compulsion where you're just wandering around the um, environment, tapping the button, watching a little puddle like zoom out around you as it searches the environment. But uh, something like Thermal, you keep on for maybe five to seven minutes, maybe longer, because suddenly the room is dark or... You have to find where you have to find where the secret switch is hidden to like power things back on and things like that. Yeah, maybe the secret is making it like the fact that you lose things, right? Like mm-hmm. when thermal's on, there are other things that therefore you are sacrificing, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas, like you know, in Batman, it's like the only reason to have detective vision off is because the game forcibly turns it off when you're fighting, right? Or, like, in Hitman, the the World Assassination Trilogy, it's like, I mean, granted, you don't, like, you use it to kind of figure out who's in the environment or whatever, but at a certain point, it's like, there's no penalty or drawback to ever using it. And, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's fine in a game like Hitman, where, like, the challenge there is, you know, figuring out your way through the environment and getting the, you know, getting to your target, but in a game like metroid prime you want to have those trade-offs because i don't know it's like you're in a big hostile environment with a very limited viewscape like you feel boxed in because like the the framing of like your usual view in that game is the visor and it just makes it feel just a little more claustrophobic and information Mm -hmm. is what lets you live I do really like the planet Talon 4 that you're wandering around, but one thing I do wish it did a little differently was how it interconnects each biome. Like, mm. there, you get to a certain point in the game where you're going down to the lava area simply because it's the route to another area you need to be at, and you end up just treating certain areas of the game that once held a bunch of mystery in them as, like, basic walkways getting you from A to B. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the backtracking is not always the most graceful in mm-hmm. that game. Do you have a favorite like one of my one of my favorite memories playing Metroid Prime and I have played a little of the remaster, um not nearly as much as you, but is like favorite like logs because one of the joys of the game is just, you know, combing over and you know scanning and getting all these computer logs and seeing them be like day 2 we're still committing war crimes, day 3 oh fuck Samus is here. <laughs> oh fuck. Um, I do find that Shozo writing's pretty interesting, just in terms of them getting to Talon 4 and realizing, oh, there's a lot of things that are wrong with this planet, and something evil is growing here, but, like, 
it's, I guess it's just up to us to stay here, and maybe if we die with it, then no one else will have to ever deal with it. Fingers crossed, no one else except the Savior will come here. Very fatalist, uh, very fatalist civilization, the Chozo. Mm-hmm. They curl into a ball because they're trying to hide away from the world. <laughs> Which is convenient because a lot of their technology and a lot of the Space Pirates' technology requires little electronic balls to operate. That is that is the part of it that does kind of, like, when you're on, like, the, um, the Space Pirate station at the beginning of the game, and it's like, oh, there's this elaborate locking mechanism, and you scan it, and it says, please insert metal sphere, and you're like, okay, guys. Reminds me a little bit of, like... There was a series of goofs, like, back in the day on 4chan about, like, space pirates building everything with tubes, where it was like, it's like, oh, hey, Jimmy, how are we going to, like, build this space station? Tubes! Like, just putting tubes everywhere. <laughs> like, that is really convenient for Samus, but why would these space pirates build so many interconnected lockways involving tubes? <laughs> and why is space pirates like a species rather than a profession? Well, the same reason why Samus Arand is a bounty hunter. It just sounded cool <laughs> to the writer. If we're, if we're being perfectly honest, for the same reason that they call them the Sand People, uh, low-key racism in-universe. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. You know, it's they, they, they literally don't look like people. They're like crab guys, so it's not as offensive. But, you know, that is there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I don't know, to me, to me, the space pirates are always just, like, these funny little guys. Like, especially, like, again, color reaction, I just set the picture. Oh, I do have, a, actually, a very specific favorite space pirate log. Uh, there's a bit where they're, um, you're seeing them power up as you go through the game, and you find out that's because they're more or less scanning you and uh, trying to reintegrate their technology into their weapons. Tr mm, trying to reintegrate yeah. your technology into their weapons. One of the things they try is uh, the morph ball, and there's yes. just a, lo a log with them being like, well, all of our test subjects had their limbs destroyed because they tried to get into the ball shape. <laughs> yeah. We turned them into bone spaghettis, so I think this one's a failure. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm just finding more of these like old images. Hold on. Give me a second. Here we go. We designed a spaceship. What's it made of? Bugs! <laughs> uh, God. Yeah, you know. You know how it is. Yeah. Okay. I also want to say, the music fucking rocks in this game. Oh yeah, the, all composed by Tommy Tallarico. <laughs> Oh, uh, just the theme alone when you're on the main menu does a fantastic job of making you feel like you're stepping into something both alien and frightening, but also a situation you can handle if you try hard enough. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Metroid Prime is like a cool fucking video game, turns out. Yeah, you should you should play more of it. I too. should. And I did hear that um there is a way I, I doubt this is anywhere close to ideal, obviously, but the um prime remaster does like if you plug in like the smash brothers gamecube controller adapter it will recognize those inputs um 
And I, I don't know if that'll just, like... And that might be, like, a weird hacky workaround in the same way that you can technically use the GameCube controller to access other games that just don't have all the same buttons. But I don't know. It might be cool to do that. Or um, I, I swore I had a copy of the GameCube version at some point. It's probably somewhere in my boxes I haven't unpacked. Um, but I definitely want to, like... It sounds like the remaster does a pretty good job at... Like, they, they really cleaned this thing up, and, like, with the code base and how well understood, like, the code was, it is, plays, like, exactly the same like it was, like, back in the day, in terms of just how it's put together. Yeah, I think that would be the version I would play. Um, I don't think, and, like, I don't think there's anything really to be gained from the GameCube controller. It's mm -hmm. not like Smash or Sunshine, where it's, like, really, like the GameCube controller does things that the game needs or anything. Right. Like, eh, nah, just play it any on anything. Sure, probably. Do you think they are going to remake, like, Prime 2 and 3 in this style? They might, too. I don't think they will 3. 3 was the one that was just on... Was 3 just on the Wii? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. That one That one would be slightly... Not trickier, but, like... They they have tried to like replicate motion controls on like on the Switch Joy Cons like even though it's more technically capable than original Wii modes and stuff it's just it's not quite the same so it doesn't feel like a thing also that that Nintendo in general is super interested in revisiting they have you know like they brought Mario Galaxy over but for the most part Wii entries in their franchises haven't gotten a lot of love um, I guess Skyward Sword as well but yeah. Skyward Sword controls a little awkward on switch a little bit so and yeah. spoilers prime 3 is definitely the weakest of the trilogy yeah i i i remember hearing prime 2 echoes being like a pretty strong game mm -hmm. yeah it's weird and cool it was in that period of time in which like every other nintendo game was like oh we're playing with like light and dark elements and like it was like a design ethos in so many of their games at the time mm -hmm. yeah for sure mm-hmm yeah, the one negative thing I heard about Prime 2 is that people consider it to be much harder than Prime 1, but yeah. Yeah, it's true. It is. Mm. Um, there's a lot more... Environmental hazards are very pressing in that game. Um, yeah. For a lot of the early part of the game, it is like you are in places where there are tiny safe zones, and otherwise the, the environment itself just existing hurts. Um, mm. So that's hard. Yeah, and if it's anything like the checkpointing used, or lack thereof, in Prime 1, where you have that, like, 15 to 20 minute segment in the Phazon Mines where there's no goddamn save station, and you're just plowing through wave after wave of enemies in a game that's not really... It's a first-person shooter, but it's not designed like a first-person shooter, so you run into a lot of problems just getting into that many combat scenarios at once. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the combat system in Prime 1 definitely feels more geared towards, like, taking on two or three targets in a room, but not, like, wave after wave of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely more interested in puzzles than, like, reflex-heavy combat. And when you have too many enemies, it's like, well, I can't see everyone at once, and so the puzzle element's kind of gone. Yeah. But... All right. Well, you know, I'm I, I think they did a pretty good job of that remaster. It sounds like you're having a really good time with it. Um, I wish they hadn't include cost 
paid sixty. It's sixty dollars. It's just so much. It's for... not sixty. It's forty. It's not sixty. It's forty. Yeah. I feel like I paid sixty. Did you pay? Did for I like... get scammed? <laughs> 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 no, I'm just misremembering. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. Though um, a few days after the physical edition went for sale, like it sold out, and people started t- selling it for like one hundred dollars on eBay. So. Yeah, collectors are idiots. Oh yeah. Yeah, that is just like the story of collectors markets. <laughs> um indeed. Yeah. So if if it were amenable, I'd be happy to go next. Um sure. And yeah. talk talk about uh like a dragon Ishin. course the the newest entry in the like a dragon series with an asterisk on this because it's not actually the newest entry it's a remake it's a remake of a ps3 game but also it's a remaster but also we change stuff like you know uh kenny omega and nanners are here for some reason but also there's a lot that they didn't change um you know so what there's uh so so what's the what's the pitch on uh lad ishin I really, I really like. I gotta talk about this with with Jen because I, it's okay. <laughs> it is the late Edo period, right? Mm-hmm. Ah, uh, the you know, the shogunate is you know like its power is waning. People are loyalist to the emperor. Blah 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 blah. The Shinsengumi. Blah blah blah. We all know this story. Yeah. Right. You are playing as Sakamoto Ryoma, who is, uh, classically speaking a samurai who ended up being quite the modernist and pushing for a lot of um you know like modern ideas um kind of responsible people call him the father of the uh Jap- the modern japanese navy right mm-hmm. uh-huh. he was like we need to we need to we need to sort of you know make these japanese but we need to take western ideas and and integrate them um and we also need to overthrow the shogunate um now he's kiryu kazuma Kind of. Kind of. Kind of. And, like, his mentor is kind of, uh, <laughs> um, oh, what's his name from the original games? Like, the father figure guy. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're, you're like, your foster dad. Um, because, well, we'll get into it, but basically, understand that everyone is the voice actor and model of a character from the main series, but not necessarily entirely the personality. Yeah. But always close enough to make it weird. Anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, Majima is like Okija Soji, for example. Um, uh-huh. There's a lot of other examples. I know in that original PS3 game, because it was originally a PS3 game, and it was released sometime after, like, Yakuza 4 or 5. Um, or before. Regardless, it was, like, it had a bunch of, like... It's so weird to, like, they are actors, but they're also playing their characters, mm-hmm. sort of. And then they replaced a couple of them for this release because there were some more popular characters from, um... Zero. From Zero and Six, I believe. Yeah, like, um, 
Kuze, the how many times do we have to do this, teach you this lesson old man guy from Zero, now has a fairly prominent role. Mm-hmm. Um, and incidentally, the original game came out right before Zero did. Um, but, so you're playing Sakamoto Ryoma, the samurai modernist who uh, was at constant odds with the Shin Sengumi, and eventually the Shin Sengumi assassinated him, right? That's the history. Mm-hmm. In this game, uh, Sakamoto Ryoma... I think modernist is a pretty generous reading of this guy. Um, <laughs> I would just call him kind of an asshole, like a a good guy asshole, which is a weird thing to say, right? Um, but it's like, if he stumbles into a situation, he will generally try and do the right thing, but he's kind of mean and violent and rude Yeah, in I- general. I couldn't tell how much of that was him, like, playing his cover of Saito Hajime, or how much of that was just actually him. Because you have to to tell. (laughs) He's acting very respectful and stuff during the prologue, and then once you actually get into uh, the city of Kyo, he's uh, basically being like, I'm Hajime Saito, I'm going out to drink, don't wait up for me, I'm not gonna pay my tab just yet. (laughs) Well, that part is clearly just his cover, but, like, there's also the part where he, like, I don't know, he's extremely willing to, like, like, Kiryu is a character who rarely if ever, starts fights. Mm. He finishes fights, but he doesn't start them. It's kind of like Bugs Bunny, where, like, the, in a way, in the uh, design, like, I think the writing Bibles or whatever of Looney Tunes was, like, Bugs Bunny never starts a fight. Like, he ends them, he doesn't start them. Kazuma Kiryu... I hear what you're saying. It's a weird thing to think of comparing these two characters, but I guess I get what you're saying. (laughs) Um, Not a lot of other ways that they're similar. (laughs) That's all. (laughs) Um, uh, what's up, Doc? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, like, it's so, something that, like, has, so I've been watching a friend play this game, and it's so interesting to see how Ryoma Sakamoto is in conversation in some ways with the depiction as with Kazuma Kiryu. Like, it's so mm-hmm. weird to play this game and think of, like, I conceptualize it in some way as the actor in quotations that plays Kazuma Kiryu is playing Ryoma Sakamoto in this game because he's been typecast or something. Like, it's a weird roundabout way to think about it, but that's kind of how the game treats it. Kind of. It's kind hard of. to it's yeah. hard to put your finger on exactly what the intention is, whether it's that or you're supposed to be like, oh, these are like historical echoes. This kind of guy always exists. Great ancestors or, or something like yeah, that. Or something. It's hard it's hard to be certain exactly what their intent is. Um but yeah, we the the big twist, of course, um you are uh, a foster kid. Um you're you're an adopted kid of this of this guy who is the lord of the Tosa region, and he's like, I'm going to overthrow the people who are really in charge of the Tosa reason. I'm just a magistrate and they're shitty old men who are enforcing ridiculous class distinctions and I'm going to tear those down. Um, but he gets assassinated. You get framed for the murder and you're like, no, I'm going to run away. I'm going to co- go under this cover name and I'm going to figure out who really did it and I'm going to get him. Um, and so you come up with the cover name Hajime Saito. Now, that's a real guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a real guy who 
quite possibly is the person who killed Ryoma Sakamoto. Um, he was he was a captain of the Shinsengumi, and he was uh, yeah, he he was pretty forward thinking for a member of the Shinsengumi, but still quite violent and you know carrying a lot of carrying out a lot of political killings. Um, so you have the inherent like you're undercover as the as a fictional version of the person that killed you what was the what was the analogy that you drew up uh when you ran into this plot point i don't remember i mean it involved like aaron burr i think oh yeah it was like it was like what if what if thomas jefferson went undercover as aaron burr it's (laughs) like uh, huh huh um and then there's this game's this is the part where I really need to talk to Jen. I really need to have a moment with my do friend I, who is I, also. Yeah. Pre- Go ahead. Okay. Do I need to leave the room? Or <laughs> no. Am I just, no. Right. It's just. It's just like right. we both played a bunch of the Hakuoki series, which is like, what if the Shinsengumi were tortured hot boys that you should make out with, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that is not like a Dragonishin's view on the Shinsengumi. <laughs> <laughs> it's so fun. <laughs> It's so funny when, um, it's so funny when Sakamoto finally fights Soji Okita and his first reaction to him is like, damn, are you really him? Everyone just said that you were super hot because <laughs> every other depiction I've seen of Okita Soji is just talking about showing him as this hot boy or hot girl who is tragically doomed to tuberculosis. <laughs> and <laughs> I knew that part. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and here instead it's played by the person who plays Majima and is just going ham with the sword and talking about, like, I don't like to pull out just yet. (laughs) Yeah, it's, uh, they're, like, I think most depictions agree, and I'm not, I'm not well-versed enough with the history to have a perspective. I know the events well enough. I don't know enough to know, like, a historian's bias or a storyteller's bias necessarily, um, but most depictions are like the Shinsengumi were like heavy handed and violent, but they were trying, they were kind of put in a position where they had to be a little bit because no one would take them seriously because they were originally peasants. And so they were like, we're going to be really vicious. So people will take us seriously. Maybe not a good answer, but you can see how they got there. It's an answer that they arrived at because they felt it was like the correct answer at the time. Right, right. That's how that's how they are very commonly portrayed. Um, like a dragon, Ishin is like, what if serial killers got a government job? <laughs> I mean, that's like the interesting thing about it being like part of the like a dragon or Yakuza series, right? Where by making the various members of the Shinsengumi directly like you see them like oh this is majima these are like kuze these are characters that i'm familiar with from the previous games it's like they are they seem to be making this very direct connection of like i mean those other games they are like often really like potentially malicious crime bosses right like Mm -hmm. the connection is there yeah, but there's also, like, they go out of their way to reproduce specific plot points from the Yakuza series that, like, were plot points that I was already long tired with by the time I started this game. Like, at a certain point early on, a character is like, hey, by the way, there's this information broker named the Bath 
the bathhouse owner of Psy, and he knows everything. And it's the goddamn florist again. They just found a way to get him back in here. And it's it's a pun, of course, because they're doing, like, it's florist. And the way you'd say that in Japanese is very similar to saying furo for bath. Mm-hmm. And so there, but it's like, but also you're just doing this again. Um, but then weird. also there's parts where it's like, I don't know what, I don't know what their intention is really, because they're portraying the Shinsengumi and they seem, the the game seems to think very, very little of the Shinsengumis, seems to think the organization are scumbags and most of it, but not probably all of the members. It seems to think Shinpachi's okay, but most of the members are scumbags, right? Mm-hmm. But also you're playing a undercover revenger. You don't get to hang out with anyone. The only people you ever get to spend time with are the Shinsengumi, and so you naturally start to like them because you're like, these guys may be sociopaths, but it's nice to chat with my coworkers. Yeah, it's like, oh, I'm gonna go do um Edo period karaoke with Majima. I mean Okita Soji before he dies of tuberculosis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, We're gonna sing like this really great version of Bakamitai, you know? The bit where I wandered into the karaoke bar and it chose a song and suddenly there were FMV women dancing around in Komodos was pretty surreal. <laughs> it's a Real, choice. Yeah. <laughs> Kazuma Kiryu. Listen. Ryoma Sakamoto fucks. That's what they're implying. <laughs> he certainly fucks more than Kiryu does. Kiryu. I will say that. Yeah, absolutely. Like, just... Ryoma Sakamoto is just out here. It's like, it's like, yep, I certainly do fuck. <laughs> He's singing this song that, like, the lyrics are basically about giving oral to women. Like, it's something. <laughs> <laughs> I have not seen this yet. That's something to look forward to, I guess. Um, yeah, I, I'm having a good time, but I feel like it's never felt the series's politics and perspective have never felt weirder. I, as I, I put my, my switch is asleep right now. It's within mm. five feet of me, right? Mm-hmm. Last, I last played right before I went to bed and I stopped in the middle of an introduction to a quest um, because it was like, oh, explore the house and examine things. So I'm like, this is a good point to stop for the night. And the quest was that there was a young girl whose parents died, right? And a debt collector was like, okay, listen, you owe us a bunch of money. We're going to reclaim this house. And she's like, no, please. I'm just a young girl, but this house is all I have left of my parents. Please let me keep this house. And uh, Hajime Saito steps in and is like, listen, I have a solution. I'll pay off your debt. This is my house now. You can live here and you can like clean it for me. And I'll just show up sometimes, you know, and, you know, make a mess and then leave. And you'll be basically my live-in maid. Doesn't that sound great, little girl? Who happen- like, what the fuck? What the happen- fuck? <laughs> little girl who happens to look and sound like Haruka from the main series. Because she's just <laughs> Haruka. Named Haruka. And you yes. named Haruka and she calls you Oji-san. Like, oh, I have not got to that point yet. <laughs> it's weird. It's uncomfortable. And the game doesn't know that it's uncomfortable. Yeah, it's like, it's one thing if, like, Kazuma Kiryu, like crime dude doing crimes just like i mean at the end of the day he's a nice guy we all know this but it's like okay it'd be one thing if it's like cosmic Kiryu is crowd is like couch surfing right it is a way different thing that it's ryoma sakamoto government official 
you know? And I, I even with Kiryu, I don't, I genuinely don't think there's a good way, unless you want to be like, okay, like what they, what they do in, in the, the main series is like, okay, like Haruka is his daughter, right? For all intents and purposes, you, yes. Unless you actively go there, I don't think there's a way to say, all right, 10 year old, be the indentured servant of this, you know, like 30 year old man. I don't think there's a good way to do that. Yeah, it's it's pretty bad. <laughs> and it's it, one. Go ahead. It reminds me. Well, it reminds me of the visceral reaction I had when I first ran into like the character Akiyama is playing in here because it took yeah, me right back yeah. to Yakuza Four and how its politics were all about like, oh man, isn't it cool how this person who was once homeless like caught a bunch of money from this exploding tower and now he's a pull yourself by your bootstraps dude loan shark like like to be clear he is a loan shark yeah what yeah what they what they do you know they have the classic like yakuza like intro titles where they do like the dun dun and it fades to black and white and you see their title pop up Mm -hmm. and it really like his is like like shun akiyama akiyama finance but it really should just say shun akiyama the means tester god that's just his whole thing (laughs) i think it is one of those things where if i may offer a little bit of my perspective of my some of my understanding of the shinsengumi and just like this sort of thing is i think about how like when you have something like hakuoki is like okay they've turned them into hot vampire boys or whatever like there's a degree of detached silliness to that premise that you can, mm-hmm. like, invest in. Similar to, like, how Gintama depicts the Shinsegumi. They're all a bunch of, like, basically wacky, stupid assholes, right? Like, they are very much framed in that show of, yeah, Okita Soji is just, like, an idiot who uses a bazooka who tries to keep killing Hijikata, right? Yeah. Like it'd be like giving Ape Lincoln a sniper rifle. They, they made that movie. They did. Um... Well, no, he was a vampire hunter. Anyway, not the point. The point I'm trying to make is that Ishin seems to be running into this problem that the main line, like like a Dragon Games, don't necessarily have because in those games, it's like, okay, this is like, you know, a slightly weird detached crime drama, and it has like some fucked up politics, but it's like, you know, whatever. It's a weird, wacky, like, crime drama series. When you start adding actual historical figures and the loaded imagery of, you know, the military police, it suddenly, like, it doesn't, it, it doesn't seem to go in the direction of making the Shinsegumi, like, so detached from, like, their historical, actual, like, how they were in history in some ways. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I think, I think you're right. Like, it's sort of a case where, the series has had bad politics for a long time, sure. right? Um, but it's really easy to sort of brush over that when you're dealing with like outlandish fictional scenarios. But when you establish real events as like landmarks and as standards by which to measure what is happening, everything seems more deranged. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, I I will say though. Like, one positive point to this game, um, the combat's better than it's ever felt to me. Like It's great. Yeah. There's something about the way that they handle the specific uh, light and heavy attacks with your sword, or the bits where you just pull out a gun along with your sword and start spinning all over the place. It That's feels fantastic. That's a wild dancer style. 
Mm-hmm. I, I think that's right. Something dancer for sure. Yeah, I did. Um, from what I've been watching my uh, friend play of it, like she pointed out that like it's it's a really interesting design choice where like the gunslinger like style that allows you to actually like use the guns like as your main combat tool is like you have unlimited ammo except for like special bullet types, and it's like that's like a like the advantage of the like a dragon series is that by being so silly and unrealistic you can get away with the idea of like why ryoma sakamoto can like fire 12 bullets in like two seconds and never have to reload Mm -hmm. yeah i mean i think you get an even better version of a of a already i think everyone already knows is ridiculous in the series where you have like you know you do a finisher and you know kiryu like throws a guy in front of a moving car and then it cuts to the cutscene. The guy's like, "I'm sorry, I'll never do it again." Right? Right. Um, Slam- I- slamming a dude's head into a microwave, telling the guy at the at the fucking Lawson to microwave that shit. You know, as as part of my like tryouts for the Shinsengumi, I had a a friendly spar with Nakamura Shinpachi. During which I threw him to the ground, stabbed him through the stomach, and shot him three times in the head as part of a heat action. And he was like, good fight. <laughs> but conversely, there's like a scene early in this game in which you have, like, uh, as also part of, like, becoming part of the Shinsegumi, you have to fight this guy to the death. And the way it is, like, framed in the narrative is like, oh, no, this is like a severely fucked up thing that, like... Like, Ryoma, like, you know, kills this dude, and, you know, he asks, like, well, how the heck am I, how is that supposed to help with me getting into the Shinsegumi? It's like, well, his position just opened up, right? He, like, he actually refuses to kill him. Right, yes, he... But, yeah. You still fight I mean, him, but the framing of that cutscene, mm-hmm. and the framing of that fight is a very intense moment, which is, like... In some ways, that's part of the magic of the Like a Dragon series is that you can, for 90% of the game, have these, like, extremely silly heat actions and moments of violence or whatever. But then when the series wants to, like, actually make something seem fucked up and violent, like, they can do it. Like, it's it's a pretty good trick. Mm-hmm. One other thing I did want to mention about the combat, too, is that, like... The way they handle leveling in this is kind of genius in that, like, you get into various fights. You basically have four different uh, fighting styles that you pour points into. Thing is, you level up the fighting styles and just have a general level as two separate things, each with their own sort of currency. And you can essentially get into situations where, okay, this fight is asking me to fist fight, but I haven't been doing much of that. That's okay, I can put the all these temporary tokens I've been saving up into fighting with my fist for a bit. And once you get your fist, once you start getting the tokens for your fist, you can go ahead and swap them out for the general training tokens and get those back. So it's like a situation where you never feel like you're handicapped for focusing on one specific fighting style too much. Because there's always a way to be like... Okay, now that I'm doing this thing I rarely ever do, I can go ahead and unlock all the skills I need. Yeah, like to to phrase it another way, it's like you have four skill trees, right, for your four styles. And when you use a style, you get points for that style's skill tree. 
but also generally when you level up, you get generic points Mm -hmm. and the generic points you can pull in and out freely. Right. And Mm -hmm. so it is like when you level up a style, you get permanent points. But if you just need to like for a for, as as Jen says, for a particular fight, move things around based on those level points, you do have that flexibility, too. So it doesn't take away the feeling of like making permanent progress in an area, but still allows you to have some flexibility. It is very smart. And still doing the thing that like skill trees are actually good at in which like you have to make a decision of like, well, what do I value in this combat system? Um, And be like, it's a, it's a smart choice to have like a shared resource amongst the five, you know, they're sphere grids to a certain degree. (laughs) Um, I mean, they, it's just the language yeah. I know, but it's like, no, I, I, you're right. Yeah. yeah. And it's like by having that shared resource, you never like, you still are able to retain that tension of, okay, do I put points in the wild dancer? Do I put it in the brawler or whatever? But I can still, like, but it's just loose enough so that you can be like, like you said, invest in another style that you need to pr- make story progress or something. Mm-hmm. Cause that's the, that's like the frustrating thing with some of these games where it's like, well, I, I didn't realize there would be, like, a moment in which I'd get kept based on, like, leveling up this technique that I had considered, like, something that I didn't want to, like, consider. And then it's like, now I'm being punished for a choice I didn't realize was, like, going to affect me. It's like, that's frustrating. And, of course, as as Jen pointed out when we first started talking about the game uh, amongst ourselves, uh, the biggest improvement of all... For anyone who knows the series, those fucking dudes who just stand there holding like a big box or a chair <laughs> and just block passageways. And in previous games, you had to like run up, do two punches, backdash, and do that over and over for sometimes several minutes because they had so much fucking health. You got a gun now. They're done. <laughs> Dunsky. It's so fun that it's so funny that they still have those guys in the game because all you have to do is pull out the gun sit there for five to seven seconds, hit the trigger button until they're done. It's great. It's great. It's, it's, I would be obviously way happier if this mechanic had just this type of enemy hadn't been in the series for Mm. decades, but this is the best possible payoff. Right. (laughs) Also, it's one of those things where like, unfortunately you can't really do that in the other games because like those are spe- set ostensibly in modern day japan where gun laws are extremely strict like yeah you can still get laser swords and like machine guns or whatever but they're not part they're not considered part of your primary toolkit mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not, it sounds like it sounds like ishin like many of the other like tracking games are just sort of like weird and messy but this one's like weirder and messier than most is that about right yeah and i think both in good ways and bad right Mm -hmm. um i i definitely am gonna play a lot more of this and i'm definitely gonna have to message the group and be like yo they made you know like in a way a fucking like libertarian or something i don't know what the fuck they're gonna do but it's gonna it's gonna be problematic i was surprised that they they kept toshi so hot like from <laughs> as from a hakuoki like as soon as i saw him in this I was like oh okay he's looking in this one too it's kind of wide faced but if that's your type i guess that's fine i mean the real thing is you ha- you probably haven't met kondo yet do you know who plays kondo in this no 
He's one of the ones they recast. Okay, well, he's uh, he's hot. I'll just say that. He's hot. Okay, cool. It's going to be really interesting when I, like, finally take the time to, like, play through, like, the Hakuoki games and also, like, mess with this game. Because, again, my vision of the Shinsengumi is from a comedy anime in which, like, Kondo's, like, whole thing is that he is upset about his hairy ass. <laughs> like, <laughs> he has more depth to him. Not by much, though. <laughs> The one Yakuza cast member I was so happy to see in this game was, like, the big bad in Yakuza 2. Um, the blonde-haired guy with the big scar. And uh, yeah. it's just great how he just storms into the scene and when you're meeting with uh, the bathhouse owner. And basically both of you just strip naked and are fist fighting with little cl- um, steam clouds hanging around your torsos. Hashtag uncensor the fog. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, you're in a bath. You're already naked. Yeah. But that said, it is <laughs> very funny. It's, it's so <laughs> it is so funny how like I, I saw more also of that scene like immediately afterwards. They they just go like, hey, wanna go have a drink? <laughs> just yep. Have like, like that's just kind of like the ethos of like the Like a Dragon series where it's just sort of like two dudes are gonna beat the shit out of each other. They're like, oh right, this guy's my best friend. <laughs> <laughs> it's very funny it's very good I doubt they'll ever remake Kazen because I heard Kazen has fucking problems yeah I mean maybe they'll just make a lot of changes possibly I guess but um yeah I heard some shit about Kazen I heard some shit as well do you think they would try and spin this off as like a side series like do an Ishen 2 or I don't think they will just because like they already have their hands full well, they've already like they've already splintered the series into Judgment and like a dragon and I don't mm-hmm. think they're eager to do a third one because at that point it's just like it, it bogs everything down yeah. too much mm-hmm. yeah also later this year they're going to have a whole um integral chapter with Kazuma and uh and then the following year, they're going to have Yakuza 8. So so Gaiden comes out this year, and then Like a Dragon 8 comes out next year? Is that mm-hmm. right? Okay. Um, I don't know. I, I would hope that they eventually just retire the Kiryu character, but we'll see. Ha. Ha ha. I know. It seemed like that was what they were trying to do with 7, and then lo and behold, he's back in 8. Yep. Yep. Except he has a bad, like, J-pop wig. <laughs> I've kind of come around on it. It yeah. is bad, but it seems it definitely seems like what Kiryu would do trying that's, to be hip and modern. That's the thing, mm-hmm. right? It's like, Haruka, <laughs> Haruka told me all the all the girls in her class really like this look. She showed me some pictures of One Direction, and I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> One Direction, they have an understanding of where to go in life. Forward. I'm so old that One Direction is still my touchstone for modern pop. I'm sorry, folks. <laughs> yeah, I personally would have gone with BTS or something instead, but <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Reasonable. Reason. Yeah. They haven't been active for seven years. Ah. Didn't they just release a song though, or something? No, they broke up in 2016. Huh. 
Then what was it that who was, I don't know. I don't know. I just saw something of like some old boy brand like released some new song because now it's like the current trend in music is like, oh boy, like MCR is back, you know, and like all these other bands that have already broken up are coming back and doing stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of getting back to stuff that's like older. Um I'll talk about what I've been messing with. Uh I've been playing Marvel 3. That classic is over 10 years old at this point. So, so as I mentioned in other podcasts, like I, I have been having some wrist issues. Um, I still kind of am, but it's gotten a lot better. Um, mm-hmm. I've changed a number of my own habits. I'm stretching my wrist like a lot more frequently. Um, switching to an ergonomic keyboard at, at work has definitely been helpful because I type at work like all the time. And that's kind of like where many of my problems were coming from. But for just a couple of months, like, I, I just, <laughs> I couldn't play fighting games. And that was, like, really frustrating. Um, but, you know, with, you know, medication, therapy, and, like, and things like that, I'm kind of back to, like, where I kind of was. In fact, I I played um, Guilty Gear Strive last night without the need of, like, a arthritic, like, assistant. And it's like, oh, I can just play this now. And it doesn't hurt. It's nice. Um, but... Related to that, like, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Six League, you and I, we found out about this, like, mod that the uh, Marvel 3 community has been doing. Like, briefly, they found a way to sideload new characters because of the way alternate costumes are, like, coded in that game. It's beautiful. Uh, uh, She-Hulk is now Red She-Hulk, and if you hit the top button five times with three meters, she becomes Soul Bad Guy. It's fucked up. Um pretty fucked up yeah but then at that point like you and i we just ran into issues with like parsec or whatever and we didn't bother to like look into like how like because people do parsec tournaments and it was like we didn't really want to put in that effort so we just started playing vanilla marvel 3 again and holy fuck ultimate marvel versus capcom 3 is still really fucking fun and good it's pretty fun yeah it's I like it better than I did before, I think partially because of experience with Dragon Ball, mm-hmm. but also just kind of making peace with it, allowing it to be a mess. Yeah. Like, it is a very messy game. Like, like if you somehow have been living under a rock for the past 10 years, you know, it's a 3v3 fighter with uh, characters from the Capcom universes and the Marvel universe, but... The thing that has made it so fun to get into is that it has a lot of, like, ridiculous characters on both sides of, like, really interesting picks that were interesting at the time. Like, not many people remember that, like, when they put Rocket Raccoon into Marvel 3, or Ultimate Marvel 3, it was like, like, those Guardians of the Galaxy movies, I don't even think have been announced at that point. Like, I'm pretty sure... Mm. 
like uh, from stories I've heard Capcom pushed for characters like, you know, Rocket Raccoon and Deadpool and X-23 because they were like, no, these would be just so much more fun in a fighting game, you know, system. Mm -hmm. Um, Because like Disney acquisition had just like had happened during the development time of that game. And they, (laughs) yeah. Um, So it's a messy game where, Characters have a bunch of different moves, and not all of them work. Not every mechanic, like, really works. Like, it has a pretty, I I wouldn't say strict tier list, but there are characters that are just, like, sort of objectively better Mm. than others. But when you just sort of play this game, like, the way we have, which is sort of, like, more casually, in which we just play around with the different characters, it's like, there's just such a wide possibility space in that game it's just so fun to like mess with different compositions yeah i think a a big part of what i am appreciating is like i get about an understanding of the like the way team comp works Mm -hmm. right yeah and also just like being competent enough to to sort of make some of that work because previously like i when i played marvel before it was like i just picked three characters i thought were fun right but now it's like i'm capable of making teams that aren't viable which is kind of like a a sign of how far i've come right (laughs) i mean i remember playing this game kind of back in the day i actually got a little bit more into it when i was living in japan um in 2014 because i you know, bought a PS3, like the PS4 had been out at that point, but, you know, I just decided to buy a PS3, and I found a copy of Ultimate Marvel 3, and the menus were all still in English, you could just switch that over. I remember just having, like, a big old time just, like, um, talking with a friend of mine at the time, and just sort of just messing around with that game, and it's like, and, but to your, to your point, Six, like, I, I'm, like, appreciating it more than I did back in that time, because I... I liked the game, certainly. I liked watching it, but I didn't necessarily get it until I put a lot of time into Fighter Z. Because Fighter Z is kind of like, it's not cut from, you know, it's not the exact same game, obviously, but it's cut from some of the same cloth mm-hmm. where you're thinking about like the way you compose your teams, the way that you tag in. Like, you know, in like, I, <laughs> when I started playing. You know, competitive fighter Z. It was like to do. Um, like they still call them. Like the community still calls them DHCs in mm-hmm. the fighter Z community because that's what they are. Because basically, when you do your super in uh, Marvel Three, you just do the next input for the next super for the next character on your team, and you get another one that comes out at that time. And um, that timing. And also getting, like, deeper into Fighter Z made me appreciate the, like, little subtle design choices that they made in um, Marvel 3 that make that game just feel so, like, expressive and fun to do. Because you could, like, you could cancel a lot of moves, and the cancel windows are so generous. Like, you have so much time to, like, do not just, like, your light-medium-heavy special, like, combos. It's, like... You just, like, kind of dial it in and then do your special and cancel into another special. It just feels very, you know, 
it's freeing in a lot of ways at the level that like we're playing at. Mm-hmm. And it's also weirder than Dragon Ball, right? Which yes. I feel like is a big thing. I again, another thing I didn't appreciate when I first played Marvel Three. I was like, okay, these are the characters, and I play them and whatever. Um, in Dragon Ball, it's like the definition of weird in that game is like, oh, Broly has a lot of armor. That's mm-hmm. weird, I guess. Um, oh, Beerus summons like five <laughs> fireballs that you can just super dash through. Um, uh-huh. But like in Marvel 3, weird is like, oh, Beautiful Joe can hit this button, which is similar to the button he would hit in that, like in the video game he came from. And like, <laughs> like the shocking, you know, what was that shocking V or whatever, like the boomer, the the boomerang and the bomb will show up how useful mm. it is. Like the game designers kind of shrug and it's like, I don't know, but it was kind of cool to put it in. <laughs> um, I, I recognize there is some application, but still. Mm. Or I mean, like there's a, fortunately I, uh, Kyrie is still figuring out how to, how to pull it off. But Kyrie's point character is X 23, who is a teenage clone of Wolverine. Don't Marvel stupid. Don't get Marvel. Don't worry um, about it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> But, like, one of the things that she can do is she has a level three super where she turns invisible and just does an unblockable for, like, a third of your health. Um, and you can just, like, get a guaranteed third of their health every time you kill a character and someone else comes in if you do it right. And it's like, Dragon Ball would never allow you to do that. <laughs> yeah. And in some ways, like, I think Dragon Ball is, like, on some level probably the better game in some ways like in, mm-hmm. in some aspects like i enjoy that like i just enjoy that game so much not just because of my attachment to the series but also just the way it's designed where every character feels like you know some are better than others but still roughly feel about fair like you don't well until it lab code 21 came up you didn't really have a virgil scenario uh but now it's like just kind of like a funny like it's a funny part of Marvel 3's identity that you have characters that are just so obscenely overpowered, but it became a fun puzzle in some ways to beat that team composition or beat that, like, one character. Mm-hmm. Um, like, famously, there's, like, Dark Phoenix, right? Like, because um, Phoenix on the Marvel side... Like, she has, like, no health whatsoever. But the idea is if you have five, like, if you have a full stock of five meter, she becomes Dark Phoenix, which is, like, one of the most powerful characters in, like, the Marvel Universe. So, in a weird, like, in a roundabout way, by making Dark Phoenix one of the most powerful characters in that game, it's, like, it feels a little appropriate. And then for years, people would just make team compositions. Like Ryan LV famously would play a team comp. I think uh, Chun Li, Morgan, and Phoenix, where he would just have fucking Fe- uh, like like Chun Li do air kicks like over and over and over again until he built up like five bars, and no one could get to him. Yeah, and I uh, think that's partially why. A lot of people over time kind of soured on Marvel vs. Capcom 3 just because it's it's very much a game built for sickos who, like, have <laughs> um, have the capacity to memorize a lot of very specific player, I mean, fighter styles that can leave the opponent locked out for extended periods of time or even the whole match. And oh, yeah. uh, meanwhile, something like Dragon Ball Fighters, like, 
that has a, a number of tools to get new people into it and uh, help them start learning. Well, it's 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 kind of like how I can hand you like an arcade stick and we play like Dragon Ball. And you could kind of like get your way. You could get through like a match of Dragon Ball. But I, do you have that frustration with Marvel 3? Because I think we've played it like once or twice together and it never clicked for you. Yeah, uh, Marvel 3, I feel like I'm just hitting... I feel like I'm just hitting buttons until I die, or even just getting into situations where I take one step forward and it's done. Yeah, like, Marvel 3 is an extremely volatile game. Like, there's been a reason why it is a first-to-three... It's been, like, a first-to-three format for years, because one bad touch... Like, like, oh, that character is just Bad touch, dead. bad touch. <laughs> yeah. One of my favorite videos on the internet is from, like, a first to 20 set in which, like, a Nova player grabs zero at the beginning of the match. And the zero player frustratedly hits the pause button and starts the next game, like, disqualifying <laughs> themselves from that, like, game. He's like, no, I'm just not going to play. <laughs> It's so fucking funny because like Nova's win condition was, oh, did you get grabbed by Nova? Yes. Well, time to die. <laughs> um, it, it can make it really difficult to get in that type of game. Like even when you have like the, you know, core skills that like other fighting games like teach you, you really have to be kind of a sicko to like, like it almost feels like in Marvel 3, you have to be like, well, what's the thing that makes my opponent not have fun? Which is like also sometimes fighting games in general. It's like, well, what is the grossest thing? Like, what is the like most fucked up thing I can do to like make them not be able to engage and use their tools? Um, mm -hmm. But if you embrace that, like there's just a lot of like, there's a lot of goofy fun to have in Marvel 3. I'm still figuring out what team I really want to play. I'm debating looking into other characters because, like, I'm not getting a lot of work done with X-23. But, you know, Dante is just, he's just a whole bucket of, like, fun, you know? Like, every button does something. If you tap the button twice, does another move. Like, he has the biggest move pool of, like, the entire cast, I believe. Like, only the only person who gets close is Virgil. And it's, like... It's just fun to do stuff, and it's like it helps that the sound design and the like play is just so impeccable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's good fun. Yeah, and hey, it's cool that like it's going to be at uh, Evolution this year. Um, they announced it as one of the eight games that they are going to be showcasing. Um, so it's it's. It is interesting how we both kind of got into it. Like, this was, like, before the announcement. It was just sort of, like, it was a game we both had installed and we wanted to play. And, mm -hmm. like, I don't know. I, 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 if nothing else, like, I've always appreciated its sensibilities to get a little weird with it. Um, like, giving characters, like not impractical combos or setups, but, like, you know, they like, there's a lot of, like, flavorful character stuff, like, even in just the animations and the choices that they made when making that game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and design-wise, I mean, it's a, it's an aiding game. 
Uh, mm-hmm. They also did, a, you know, DNF duel. And it's a team that very much is like, okay, we want to make the characters feel good and we're worried about making them fair later. And sometimes they never get there. <laughs> sometimes they never get there. Tatsunoko versus Capcom, similar to, in that regard. Um, or any of the, like, anime fighters that they have made over the years. But that was, that was partially why I was so excited with DNF duel. And I still like DNF duel. Is that, like, aiding as a company is seems like much more interested in be like, okay, how do we make Dr. Strange this, you know, the strange guy, you know, like how do we depict that? We give him lots of like spells and animate him in such a way that he's like, he, he's just so much like he, that game is part of the reason why I think Dr. Strange is kind of a cool character. Like I, I've never mm. really read the comics. I never really cared for those um, Benedict Cumberbatch movies, because like you know, he's just a weirdo guy who does like hand symbols and just like says like dumbest things possible. He's like he's like a Carney plus Shakespeare in the park, and that's why the movies are so like. No, this guy's really cheesy. <laughs> like the way he talks, like the you know the English dub. It's like 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 echoes of Kanak or whatever like he is just so into like saying these like funny spell names like the, the oh, bolts of ballsack bolts of ballsack <laughs> you know um impact poem <laughs> like it's it's just a lot of fun he's a goofy guy and um talking about like oh i guess in this universe no one knows how to beat me oh <laughs> like he's just so full of himself um and that's why like like to and maybe i'll be proven wrong because you know you don't put marvel 3 in like evolution without like someone at capcom going to potentially announce something i'm not holding mm-hmm. my breath because you know of how like just life works but like also you know this game like i'm so happy it came out because like we saw what happened to marvel infinite where, like, Marvel Infinite is okay, but it just doesn't have, like, not just because of, like, how fucked that development was, but it's, like, it never really had that same charm that I think Ultimate Marvel versus Capcom 3 has. Mm-hmm. Like, Infinite wanted to, like, sand everything down in such a way, not just, like, like, the gameplay is still, like, fun and experimental, but, like, the way everything is, like, muted, like... It's so much more colorful and fun and weird and ridiculous in Marvel 3. And I've just grown to appreciate that as time has gone on. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's all we've got. No, it's Kingdom News! Kingdom News! Wait, we have Kingdom News? We have Kingdom News! Fuck, how do we have Kingdom News? Well, Long's coming out tomorrow. That's right. That's true. That's true. That's not what I'm here to talk about. What are we here to talk about? We're here to talk about a game that released in last November that I didn't know about. What's that? I've been playing Reigns Three Kingdoms. Oh, that mobile game, like from the, okay, 
Um, was it that Netflix game? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's up with Rain Three Kingdoms? So, uh, for anyone who doesn't know the Reigns games, uh, this is, I think, the third one they've made. It might be more than that. I don't know. Um, but based... Oh, no, it definitely is more than the third yeah. one. So, no, they also <laughs> had, like, a fucking... Yeah. Anyway. They have um, game. It's basically a, like, it, it uses the Tinder model of giving you two choices and you swipe left or swipe right. And through that, they do basically interactive fiction, right? Mm-hmm. Um, usually with a very punishing death, like, sort of like, it's very easy to die and come back and you keep playing because you're sort of playing as, in the original reign, you're playing as a king that just sort of keeps coming back. Um, in this, you are, like, it does kind of a crusader kings 2 thing where it's like okay you died now you play as your wife your wife died you play as the kid the kid died and hasn't had any you know kids and gotten married yet you play as a cousin etc on and on and on um they've done a couple of things here i haven't played too many of the other reigns games i played the first one and i played that sci-fi one they did that i thought was not very good Mm -hmm. um they're doing assassin's creed now you're getting in the animus (laughs) sure okay um, so every time you, you die, you cut back to the animus for literally a single line of dialogue. Um, so it's playing in the realm of, of the three kingdoms, you know, classic Chinese epic. Um, but you are, uh, a time traveler who keeps possessing your own, like, you know, as I say, like, you know, wife and children or whatever, when you die, um, and you're conquering China, um, and the other heroes of the three kingdoms are there. It's, it's better than the space one they did. Um, it's weird. There's a card game for combat, but it's curious. I don't get excited. Oh, I wasn't. Okay, good. Um, it's a mad basic card game. Yeah. Um, that's like mostly works because the AI, like, Literally, I'm pretty sure the AI just randomly chooses its actions. Great. Um, Love it. That is totally what I want in a card game, to have an AI that just, like, picks randomly. So it's like you build a deck, right? And then you you get dealt um, three to five cards, I think, depending on the fight. It's I haven't understood the criteria for this. And basically arrange them so that one is like they're forming basically like a triangle if it's three or, you know, whatever. But like, you know, a a, a basic geometric shape. Right. Mm -hmm. So you have like with three, you have one in front and then two down below on either side. Right. Forming Mm -hmm. a triangle. I love triangles. And what you do is on your turn, you have a certain number of actions. By default, it's three. And you swipe left or swipe right, and that rotates the triangle, and when a card comes to the front, it does its attack. So, at any given time, there are basically two things you can do. You can cycle to the left or cycle to the right. And you try and reduce their HP and win. Um, I don't really know why it's here. I mean, like... Like, they're trying to do... Like, they're trying to apply the Reigns formula to, like, to to this like not setting but like a period of like in this epic right 
He's... Yeah, I guess. I mean, but, like, I think it's. But the question is, hold like, like my question is, like, do any of these mechan are like any of these mechanics or ideas informed by the story of the Three Kingdoms? Like, I mean, I don't think mechanically it is necessarily because I mean the combat system feels like they just felt like they needed to have a combat system. Most of the decisions and stuff you're making, however, are. I mean, the problem is characters are more interesting before they join you because when they oppose you they will have schemes and they will ha like you'll have interactions with them i'm fighting with sao sao all the damn time um but the second you win them over they are just a card in your deck and they don't do anything anymore um and that is where all the personality of the game is is like having these interactions where you're like you're trying to you can't convince Sao Sao not to attack you, right? Sao Sao doesn't give a shit. You're not convincing Sao Sao of anything. Sao Sao doesn't care. Right. But you can, by your own sort of maneuvering, position it so it's like, oh, but see, because I have the Emperor, that makes you a rebel. And so now now you've put yourself sort of like you've you've shown yourself to be the Confucian ideal in this situation. And it gives you sort of this boost to your, your morale and your morals. Um, or like having situations where i mean the problem is anytime the, the the this whole series the rain's solution to making complicated situations is just having you have to make the right choice of two choices like 10 times in a row and if you mm -hmm. make a single wrong one it aborts and you don't get to try again for another 30 minutes and it just sucks it's just a bad way to do this mm. um i'm gonna look go something up real quick but like i think there is there is a game that I heard about that might be an interesting answer to the problem that Reigns has been trying to solve for a while now. Hmm. Okay. If you'll give me a second to... Like, I have a hard time looking it up because I don't remember the name of it. Basically, there is a game that I heard about that is coming out relatively soon. I think it was at NextFest, like the Steam NextFest, where it turns... Um, basically lineages into a like you know how the jackbox games has like tons of people that can play and influence that game like yes they are there is a game that i heard about that is going to be about the lineages of kings and princes and schemes and things is of it that. king of the castle it might be king of the castle um where it becomes like a big like party game um yes this appears to be the game yes so that seems like a really interesting like answer to the problem where like the complicated like political maneuvering becomes like the like weird negotiations you have to make to either a bunch of your friends playing this game or like a massive audience because it can play up to I think 10,000 people can influence the game kind of like those Jackbox games where you have a big audience that can hmm. marginally influence the game. Like, that seems like a really interesting take on the problem that, like, Reigns is cool as a mobile game, where it's like, okay, swipe left and swipe right to answer problems in these scenarios. But by making it a big thing where you have to actually do a little bit of real-life social engineering, that's a fascinating problem to have and yeah. to solve. Yeah, but at that point, you're in a completely different genre. Like, the thing that makes Reigns compelling is that it's something that you can pull up and do relatively 
you can spend as much or as little time as you want on it, but it's something that you're doing that's kind of insular and uh, you're kind of within this world it presents. When you're doing something like that, it's more of a social game and that's an entirely different type of thing. That's not something Reigns could ever be unless they were specifically like chasing after Jackbox. I, I guess like the reason I brought it up wasn't so much like Reigns needs to change its gameplay but more like it like could you imagine a party game of this style of different people playing the various like well characters in the three kingdoms like setting right like and you have to like do that social engineering with people that you are actually talking to i don't know like it seems like a different approach that might give you a little bit more of what you potentially want I think I think it's an interesting idea. I think the reason it wouldn't work as well for Three Kingdoms is because of part of what defines the Three Kingdoms era and the story is incredibly slippery slippery allegiances. Mm-hmm. The idea of having a bunch of people on your council who you don't know you if you can trust is certainly a Three Kingdoms idea. The thing is, next chapter, the reason you can't trust them is because they've left and they work for someone else now. Whereas that obviously you could retool the game significantly to accommodate that but the style that uh that king of the castle presents is one where these people are stuck with you mhm uh which is its own kind of interesting but i don't think it works with this particular story fair enough um i don't know it was just it, it was just something that popped into my head it's like i don't know that could be like an interesting like i don't know there was like a tabletop game that i heard about a while ago and i'll find the name later in which like you play various members of king arthur's court but like the way in which you play that character is very locked in like mm-hmm. you have like it like i remember hearing the pitch to this game as like it is the opposite of like a D or tabletop style game where you have like some amount of like like freedom of interpretation of things it's like no you are locked into particular roles and particular ideals and the timeline of like things that happened in king arthur's time are locked in and how you express Mm -hmm. yourself and play within that space is like part of the appeal of it yeah yeah and i think that could be really cool because i think that is part of like I would want anyone playing Le Beau to play Le Beau, you know? I don't want you playing really clever court politics. I want you, like, throwing a tantrum because, you you know, someone got the wrong saddle for your horse and threatening to destroy the kingdom for that. Be a fucking child. I believe That's what we want. Also, I believe it is called Pendragon, uh, chivalric role-playing of Arthur's Britain. I believe is the name of the tabletop game I was referring to. Gotcha. Gotcha. I think I've heard of that. Or maybe I haven't because people just, you know, Arthur Pendragon, people throw that name around. So yep. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was even a Inkle game called Pendragon like a year or two ago. That's probably what I was thinking of. Yeah. Might not be Pendragon, might be something else. Anyway. So, um is that that sounds like everybody everybody's done their show and tell. Is that about right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. The fi- final thoughts. Uh, Reigns should stop trying to be hard. Don't try and increase the difficulty because that's always where it falls apart. Just let me have fun. Um, that's it. All right. So real quick, um, it's been a minute since we recorded one of these, but what's something that we've done since the last recording that you're really like proud about 
Um, I know as a site, we, we, we pulled out all the gimmick awards. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> all right. What did Jen not, what was Jen not involved in that I can be proud of? Uh, hang on. Punish her for this. I, I, um, I go ahead. I, I think if I'm going to start off, um, I am really proud that we finally got the episode one of the ground game of Wayward Line, our new yes. Beam Saber campaign out, mm-hmm. um, because it was a nightmare because we've recorded it three times. Um, yeah, like I, heard, that... <laughs> I heard so much of, yeah, you were like, you would, you would record and then it was like, oh, the recording was fucked up. And I remember, was it the second recording in which Nick's audio was just just impossible to deal with or was that yeah it's that's correct so the first recording it was like we had a different so it's 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 uh three players and me the gm um our first recording goes all right i think it was a little mid to be honest um and then one of the players is like hey i thought about it actually i don't have time for this it's like okay well we can't like put this out and then immediately change to a different player. So we got to do this again. And we put that and we did that recording and I was like, Oh, that went, that went better. And Nick was uh, like a robot speaking into a xylophone. Um, and I was like, okay, well that's no good. I guess we got to do this one more time. Um, and I'm proud of us for sticking it through and getting it out the door. It's also a good episode, but even if it wasn't, I'd be proud. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I, I remember at one point, like you, you, <laughs> getting a dm from you that was like that you basically were like i'm going back to bed and you sent me this audio file and i listened to a little (laughs) bit of of like how nick's audio was specifically fucked up and i was like oh god like i i i tried to see if i could like manipulate audacity in such a way to make it work but man that was rough um yeah um, one thing I was particularly proud of was that um, I was invited again t- onto the SSAA network to talk about Gintama again, and that was just a lot of fun. It was a lot less, like, the last time I was there um, was talking a lot about, like, the gender politics of that show and things like that, but this uh, recent recording was, like, a lot more loose. It was really fun to do. Took him on like a like a Google Maps tour of like a weird love hotel I would bike past whenever I would get sushi on the weekends, um, and overall I just love like what they're doing over there and I appreciate that they just at one point just DM me it's like hey do you want to be on this again and I was flattered that I was invited and also just love what they're doing so it was really fun to sit down and recorded um talking about a show i have a lot of passion for again with some really cool folks like like i I would definitely encourage people to check out their network as well nice yeah i think um it's been cool to hear about uh, the guest spots you've done over there it seems like i don't know like you really brought something to that you know as a guest on a podcast it's always something where you're like you want to find a way to integrate into their show but also bring something they don't normally get and it's mm-hmm. proud of you for pulling that off. It's not Thank easy. You. Yeah. Yeah. Like, again, the episode I was on last time, I did have this opportunity to talk about 
like um the gender of one of the characters and they were like we swear we want you to be back not just to talk about this stuff it's like i'll talk about it all day i don't mind um but it was fun to just kind of have a just a fun time talking about a weird set of episodes in which the shit's a gooby go to an amusement park and um <laughs> pontificate on the nature of love since you brought it up uh reigns three kingdoms kept forgetting what gender i was it was weird not like me personally like my character like I would I would be a woman and then it would be like, oh man, it's not good for a man like you to stay unmarried and they would marry me to another woman and we'd have a kid and then, a, you know, I would die and I'd pass over to the wife and they'd be like, man, it's too bad your wife died, sir. And I'd be like, wait, what? what's what? happening? <laughs> it's not like a weirdo commentary on the fluidity of gender. It's like, no, they're programming just fucked no, they're up. They're truly just confused. I thought, like, the first time I was like, wow, it's really forward thinking that I'm allowed to have, you know, a, white, a woman married to a woman and I got pregnant. And it's like, no, it just doesn't know what's going on. <laughs> All right, well. <laughs> what about you, Jen? I'm really happy with the way my Dead Space uh, remake uh, review turned out. Like, it's been a while since I've written a review, and I think it was extra challenging to, like, get into it and realize that, A, it's a superb remake. It does... It it significantly, it significantly enhances, uh, like, certain bits of it and makes the story a lot better in certain respects. But also, it's a situation where I wish the game didn't exist, and I kind of think that it shouldn't exist in some form, just because of it being a example of everything weird that's going on with the industry, as it kind of just stops making new games and focuses on, like, older pro- bringing back old games, um through three to five year development cycles. Yeah, it's like, it's not even like, oh, we up and ported over the already pretty good game from like 2008. It's like, nope, we're just from the ground up. We're gonna crunch these people to the ground to do this game again. And yeah, I think you're... I... Oh, go ahead. And I think your writing did a really good job of capturing, like, one, like, how it was like, oh, this is better, right? They have made improvements, but also how kind of unnecessary those improvements were, and also how it's a sign of the fucking apocalypse. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Like, all these games, like, I love that when you brought up this idea, like, it's like, they remade Last of Us 1 again. Like, they had the ps3 version ported it to the ps4 and now they're remaking it for the ps5 it's like what are we fucking doing another remaking it for meat as a tv show yep <laughs> yeah supposedly they even have like a remake of horizon zero dawn going which Why? is a ps4 you game can just you could just buy it right now <laughs> like <laughs> i i just remember this like old like that meme or image or whatever in which like the playstation 2 got three Grand Theft Auto games and three separate PlayStations have had the same Grand Theft Auto game. (laughs) The PS3, 4, and 5 have just GTA 5. Like, it's it's just the recursiveness. But that said, there's still, like, obviously a big thriving, like, indie, like, scene. But, like, man, it's rough in the AAA space, you know? Yeah, indies are great. But also, I like what triple a provides when it's like firing on all cylinders and it's it's a lot just to be living through it's very obvious and slow decay yeah 
yeah, it's a fucking bummer. Well, on that note, <laughs> um, internet, yeah. where, where can we be found? Uh, so collectively as a site, you can find us at scanlandmedia.com and patreon.com slash scanlandmedia. Jen, as far as personals, where, where should we go for those? I'm at JB3 on Twitter and at Jen hyphen and hyphen Astron co-host. Curie, what about you? Curie A page on Twitter.com. Uh, I remember a few days ago, uh, Twitter just wasn't loading for everyone in the world. I thought we would be free, but we were not. So for now, you will still find me there. What about you, Six? Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at six Detmar, S-I-X-D-E-T-T-M-A-R, where I share I shoulder the burden of having open DMs for anyone who wants to get a message to anybody on the site and for any shows. So DM me if you have things to say. But if you have other things to say, you can send us an email at emails at scanlinemedia.com as well. Yep. But until such a time, folks, as you take us up on that, or until we return with another podcast, peace out. See ya. Later. <laughs>